right, KISS Army. Welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today and letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. We hope that you enjoy. 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 Welcome to episode 343 of the KISS FAQ Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Gill, and today I'm joined by, well, what's a good collective noun for a gathering of KISS fans? I think we're going to use the phrase horde, even though it refers to hamsters, but uh, maybe that's appropriate. So as usual, we've got the voice of reason, Ken, 69 Hello. Blizzard on the board, and two special guests. The first one you should recognize, the mighty Tom Shannon. Welcome to the show, Tom. How you guys doing? And thanks for having me. The fourth face, who you may not recognize, who you surely will have heard of, or at least some of the things that he's done historically, Gary Khan. Gary, good to see you and to meet you as well today. Good to see you guys. So when we start off a show with new participants and new guests, we always just like to put you through the ringer of your personal history. What was your historic moment or, or your epiphany that introduced you to the band and made you a fan? Um, you know, when was that? And what's your favorite Kiss album? Gary, as I've spoken to Tom previously, I'm going to start with you. Okay. Uh, I first became aware of Kiss uh, 74, 75. I had a cousin who had a cousin who had teen magazines. And so that's the first time I saw Kiss were in these teen magazines. I'm like, what is that about? Uh, didn't really pay much attention until um, 77, 78. Uh, a friend of mine loaned me Kiss Alive, and he's like, you really got to listen to this record. It's really good. I'm like, yeah, I don't think I like Kiss. He goes, well, just listen to the music and see what you think. And I listened to Kiss Alive, and it just floored me. It's still one of my favorite albums, period. Uh, as far as favorite album, Kiss album, it would be that or Destroyer probably, but yeah. It kind of varies a little bit. Sometimes it's hotter than hell. Sometimes it's rock and roll over. Um, but I was the music was the first thing that attracted me. But I've always been into monster movies and sci-fi and stuff. So that part appealed to me as well. Uh, so it's kind of a, a double-edged thing with me. So. Did you always stay a fan throughout the, the years of changes, uh, the lineup changes? Uh, are you consistent or have you come and gone? No, I'm still a fan, um, but they're not putting music out, and I'm, I'm, I've been critical of that when I was doing the fanzine, which we'll talk about, uh, about them not doing music and just doing merchandise, and that actually is what led me to selling a good bit of my collection because they were just flooding the, the market with too much merchandise, and it was bringing the value down on the stuff that I had collected and that I was really into, um, so... I wish they were doing music and not just doing tours and merchandise. Here, here, who dropped a new single this week, Cheap Trick. So all go. for new music from old bands. Tom, I've never gotten to ask you that question in all our interactions, you know, over the years. Uh, you know, what got you into Kiss? What was that moment? And, what, and what's your favorite album? Uh, so... Uh, it was a little bit different for me. Um, I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky, not, not a huge town, and we didn't have a rock station until 1974. So, uh, you know, I really didn't hear rock music. And uh, uh, But 
started to hear friends talking about Kiss, you know, but hadn't really seen anything or heard anything. And actually, the first thing kind of like got me wondering what's going on with this. Uh, there was uh, I was in the orchestra and uh, the girl that sat in front of me, she always wore these expensive silk shirts. They were a Nick Nick brand. I still remember that. But anyway, on the back of it was uh, it, it looked like graffiti of the Kiss logo. Uh, but at that point, I hadn't really even seen a KISS logo. Yeah. And so I'm just kind of intrigued, like, how'd they get this on this shirt? I don't know if something was weird like that to me. But uh, and, and I guess later on, it kind of manifested, you know. But uh, so I missed out on a lot of of KISS things uh, because of sports, uh, you know, played football. And so every Friday night, that's just the way it was. And so the Alive, uh, well, the Dressed Kill tour came through Louisville. Uh, I was playing, you know. So, uh, you know, when, when, when Kiss Meets Family Park came on, I was playing. So I missed out on a lot of that. But I started borrowing friends' albums, you know. I mean, you can imagine how those sounded. I mean, hell, just drag them, throw them on the turntable. But uh, the, first, the first record that I bought, I guess it just shows you how tight I am, was the Originals because it was the first pressing of it and I got it cause it was cheap. It was a cheap way to get all three of the first, first LPs, you know, uh, nerd me now wishes I'd have bought those cause that's actually a rare period, a rare pressing period for those three albums, but I would have destroyed them anyway. But anyway, so that was my introduction to the music and, and I still, and I, I tell people this when they ask me about this, uh, I, when I opened up that booklet, and saw that picture of them and i'm going what i mean this was three years ago how in the hell did they go from this to this that's what lit it right there man it's just like oh i gotta figure out what happened here you know and and, and i think it did finally but anyway uh so that was that was my introduction uh the next record that I bought for myself was Rock and Roll Over. And uh, the one that I got after that was uh, Live 2 that my dad gave me. And I found out in speaking to Bill Coin years later that both were counterfeits. You know, they, I didn't have a sticker in the one, didn't have a clue about the sticker. And, uh, and the Live 2 had, had no tattoos. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to be able to interview Bill, you know, years ago and asking stuff like that. So that's, that's how I got into it. Um, yeah, I waned, you know, when, uh, when, I mean, so I got married when I was 21, you don't have a lot of money at that point. You know, I left the house with a stack of magazines that went up to my hip and, uh, and a bunch of ratty albums that I'm sure I don't have any of them left except for the alive too. Cause my dad gave me that, but, uh, you know, so it all started to drift away. You know, we didn't have money to spend to go to concert. I, I put off going to the revenge show because I thought, well, we're not gonna be able to get good seats anyway. I mean, up to that point, I had never sat outside of the second row for a kiss show. You know, you used to be able to go down and camp out for the tickets. I wish they do that now because I could afford to pay a kid to do that, you know, but, but you know, unfortunately they don't. But, um, but anyway, so, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of go. And I, and I was really shocked and, and kind of mad at myself because the day after the show, I mean, it was basically the way at the show and could have got great seats and really enjoyed the show. But uh, so I kept buying records, you know, Kiss stuff, kind of felt an obligation, kind of, honestly. And, uh, and then something happened. I, I, I tore that thumb up 
and I was a plumber at the time. And, uh, and so that means you, you can't be a plumber without a thumb. So I, I had to have surgery on it and I had three months on my hands. So basically every day I was going to the library, this for the internet. And, uh, and so I started reading price guides, you know, like, you know, I mean, I'm, I just, I'm just interested in them. I don't know why it's some, something weird up there, but, uh, you know, like, like, like I was reading star Wars price guides and, this price and then i came across a record price guide uh osborne i can't remember his first name but anyway uh so i, I check that thing out and you know i'm i'm looking through oh i got this here what a kiss record or 35 dollars what are you talking about you know um <laughs> I'm, I'm, and of course mine are all ratted out but i think oh I, I, hell i got 50 dollars records now <laughs> you know and and so i just started to get into it you know i'm going well why, why are these things worth something you know and so uh i think it was that too uh, you know i it, it was it i got started down to merchandise because uh i had uh, stopped over to see my brother uh, my little brother and I had just come from a flea market that had a uh, uh, what's the bootleg that's got the lunchbox on the front of it? Is a lunchbox? I don't know. It's a, yeah. yeah but anyway, that yeah, they had that record there, and uh, and so I told my brother about that, and he goes, uh, well, you know, they got they got one of them lunch boxes up on the shelf up there at the drugstore. This is 1989 or 90. <laughs> like there's no way, and went up there. And there it was, man. It just had shit. Well, it's probably behind me. Yeah, it is. So uh, that that got me started on the merchandise because it's kind of like this crazy little record here. Whoever gets this, I would assume they're going to go whole hog to get everything because you got the hardest thing now. Wait, you broke you the know? glass already? And, oh, I took it out of frame. Yeah, yeah. I did out of frame. <laughs> in case, in case uh, of emergency, break glass. Eh? Yeah, 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 yeah. Kept oh, everything nice and we're, crisp. We're gonna, we're gonna touch. Shot, we're gonna touch on. on we're gonna touch on that single in a minute. Um, but Ken, you know, for you, we we know about Alive too, and kind of your story. What made you go from being a consumer or just a listener of Kiss to being a collector? A consumer of Kiss to, um, I think it started pretty early. Uh, I just kind of wanted everything Kiss after after I started getting into them about, you know, 77 and then seeing Kiss Me's Fan in the Park and then they had the, then picking up the Mego dolls and stuff like that. It's just, it was just kind of a natural progression for me. Um, so, uh, but no, I didn't, I didn't go out and buy everything. You know, I, I was, I've always been kind of selective in what I, what I buy, you know, so it's like, oh, that looks pretty cool and maybe I'll get that. Um, some things, okay i was like uh, no i'm not gonna get that you know um so yeah it was just a natural natural progression nowadays you know i may pick up something that's uh you know uh, a figure or something like that possibly uh but it's more about the 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 vinyl for me uh where i've collect collecting more vinyl um of kiss you know not again i'm being selective there too i i, I get you know foreign some foreign stuff and this and that different versions but uh i don't get every i'm not a completist i guess you could say but i, I do 
get a lot. And usually I always get the new, the color stuff that comes out too. You know, which completism is what, why I quit. I became a collector because I had to. When I became a fan, I couldn't find the elder. So at the back of Circus, circus Magazines, there were ads for Japanese pressings and imports. And one of them was the Oath single uh, uh, back mm-hmm. with Escape from the Island. So that was my only opportunity to hear the elder at that point. And that got me into singles. And I stayed in that, interested in those until I got married and then I sold off the uh, was selling off the collection to to fund our wedding you know a lot you do what you do with life and a uh, single sitting in a box in a closet was I decided was not for me I would much rather have life and something uh, to do with it so Gary you you didn't just go from you know being a fan to a collector you actually went all in and became editor um, of a fanzine back in the days when these things were mailed out. You ran Kissaholics from 1992 to 1999. You know, tell us about how that came about and, uh, you know, maybe some of your, one of your high level stories about your experiences with that. And then we'll uh, go back to Tom and the single. Okay. Um, uh, I had uh, been collecting uh, Kiss from about 1990. And there just wasn't a lot of information out there other than, like Tom mentioned, um, uh, books, a couple books, uh, mostly record value books that would talk about KISS stuff. Um, I think I saw maybe an article or two, but there was very little out there. So I I got with a buddy of mine and uh, he had the initial idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And uh, he said, uh, why don't we do a zine, a fanzine? And I barely knew what that was at the time. And because we were both interested in kiss collecting and stuff. And I had uh, a lot of background in computer and uh, photography and that type of stuff. And um, so we decided to to start Kissaholics, which we did in 1994. This is the first issue. So we can get the light right on that. And that was uh, October of 92. Um, and we published for seven years up until this one, which was March 1999. Um, the, the interesting thing, there were by the time we had were halfway through doing um, the fanzine, there were several other fanzines. But the whole time we were doing fanzines, we were the only one that was really geared towards kiss collecting. And every issue we would do an article called Spotlight on. And it would be on a different KISS collectible. Um, this particular one, one is on the color forms. Hmm. But every issue would be about different things. And we had news. We had uh, a feature collector, which was interesting, where people would talk about their collection and what they were into. Um, and it, there would be a concert review if there had been show recently. Just, just anything that we could come up with. Uh, but we put it out every three months, so there were four issues a year. And um, so that's kind of how I got into that. that. I mean, that that was really cool. And thank you very much for doing fanzines, because for someone like me, they were the precursor for everything I did in the early years of the KISS FAQ, or tried to do. And with some of the books, obviously, you know, the original KISS album Focus was very much a fanzine on steroids, um, starting off 
online and then being printed up. But you guys, I mean, the, the trailblazers of all the fanzines, I never subscribed to a single one because I was that late to the game and in the wrong country. So just the archival trove of treasure that is still buried within the pages of those fanzines is absolutely amazing. Ken, you were going to yeah, say that I was a subscriber of uh, Kissaholics. Oh, fantastic. I'm one of your subscribers. Uh, I don't know where all those uh, books I had. Um, they're, you know, who knows what happened to them. Um, they may be still in a box somewhere. But uh, I, I, I did enjoy that. And so thank you for doing that. I did also, I remember ordering a shirt. The Gene Simmons uh, had mm -hmm. an all over shirt on it. Right. And yeah. I still have that. And I've worn it to some concerts. So. Oh, great. Great. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you for that. Yeah. Tom actually wrote for us as well. Did he? Yeah, that's that's where I started actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, I can't remember what the first thing was, but I was like, whoa, he went ahead and printed that. That's nice, you know. <laughs> but yeah, there was a. I mean, that was a huge amount of information back then. The people that were involved in it, you know, I look back through them now and see some of these names, people I recognize now, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought it was the greatest thing in the world, and and really, you know, ended up the writing that I did there ended up being the basis for everything else I did going forward. Just like Julian saying, you know, I mean, that's that's the same style that I've used with my Facebook groups and stuff. You know, is we're here to have share information, yeah. have a good time, and, and and let's all be decent about stuff. And you know, it's it's. It, most of my most of my stuff that which I'm not as active as I was in those groups, but most of the stuff that I did, man, yeah, I mean, it wasn't my opinion or anything. We're just sharing information that we've got, you know. So, yeah, and oh, and that's what it was all about because you know when I was doing the album focus, the fanzines and the interviews that they would get the inter the interviews. I mean, to this day, um, and the fan. Um, building the FAQ was a matter of going through fanzines and their collector spotlights here. I've got this. Oh, okay. I can add that to the list. I mean, it really was again to this day, it remains gold. Right. Well, another thing, another uh, trivia thing that you guys may not know, Tom probably knows, but uh, when kiss started working on the history two book, they got a hold yeah. of me um, and asked if they could, uh, use some of the, the spotlight on articles, which they did, and they are in here in Kistry 2. So if you have Kistry 2, you've probably read a lot of Kissaholic stuff. And I actually got a credit in that book too. Um, I essentially wrote most of Kistry 2 because of that, because they used a dozen or so articles. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. Very cool. I actually, I've, I've only ever seen History cool. 2 once, and that was at the Indie Expo when they had, uh, I think it was like a proof copy, uh, preview copy for people to flip through. So that's the only time I've ever been near it, but I have had uh, at literally dozens of the fanzine. All right, Tom, you've teased. You, you've, you've held it up, and that's kind of the purpose of this show today. We're going to talk about right. one of... The, I, I, I don't know where really to measure it in terms of holy grails, because that's a term that's thrown around so flippantly when it comes to collecting. There are a few pieces of vinyl, and again, it does vary by location in many cases of what is rare and the difficulty of finding it. But there are some that do transcend 
the Japanese Best of Kisses one as an LP, the um, Burns Media Rock and Roll Over Radio Special is another. And in terms of singles, I, I think it's probably beyond dispute that the stock copy of Let Me Go Rock and Roll, Hotter Than Hell, pressed in the United States is by far one of the rarest pieces of Kiss vinyl. Um, anyway, did I set that up right? Correct me, please. Yeah, no, that's dead on, dead on. In fact, I mean, you've got all the stats and stuff. I don't, I don't have the stats to share with everybody. Uh, but yeah, so first of all, let me just explain real quick why, why the single's going, okay? Um, I, I have, uh, I've recently gotten a patent for uh, protection for LPs in the mail and uh, I need to fund that. And more importantly, I've, I've actually got a couple of Universal Music licensed releases that are coming out. I uh, can't announce them tonight because I don't have the signatures from Universal on there yet. Uh, but anyway, that's that's where money from this sale is going to go is for the pressing of that first record. So so like Julian said, what I've got in my hand here is is Blue Label, Let Me Go, Rock and Roll. And on the backside, real quick, because there's too many counterfeiters, it says Hotter Than Hell. And uh, this is the real deal. Um and probably the best way to to you know state the history of this is to start with Gary because I got this single from Gary back in what was it probably 2012 somewhere in there yeah. I know I know that when I came down there now so, so a lot of people don't know this I, I went down there to photograph Gary's uh, singles mm -hmm. because I was working on at that point on a, a Universal of uh, Universe a United States discography for Kiss that was going to cover all formats. And right after I spoke to Gary and right when I, I found out that uh, Hank Van Zant was doing, uh, was nearly done with his uh, singles book. So, you know, that's just why I'm not going to put stuff out. Somebody else is trying to do. So, you know, I pulled that. But anyway, uh, that weekend was the weekend with the highest gas prices ever in the United States. And I had to fill my car up with premium to head down to Nashville from Lexington. And, uh, and so, you know, you had already mentioned that you were selling stuff, right? Yeah. I think you'd, uh, yeah, I think, yeah. And so, so I thought, yeah, worst thing to do is say no. So I just threw as much cash in my pocket as I could and <laughs> went down and we did, we did the, uh, you know, the pictures and stuff. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and finally, go ahead, Gary, tell them, tell them from that point. Cause, uh, well, I had, um, going back to Kissaholics, this is number eight. From 1994, I had done a spotlight on the US 45s. And let me read you from this real quickly. Remember, putting together a complete collection of US 45s is no easy task, even if you live in the US. It can be one of the most challenging collections you will attempt. In fact, our in our research, we had been unable to confirm the existence of the non-promo blue label version of NB823. And that's the record Tom's holding there. Yep. If someone reading this owns this record, please send a photocopy. This is in 1994. So in the article, I list the record and then I wrote by hand, exist, question mark. Well, I didn't know for sure if it did, but sometime later, 
I found a copy. And Tom has asked me where I got it, and I'm not certain, but I believe that I got it from the back of Goldmine Magazine from an ad that someone had run. Not mm -hmm. sure, but I think it was in California. So I got that record, and I knew how rare it was. And I think I might have paid $25 for it or something. Not a whole lot. Um, but it wasn't the last Kiss 45 that I got for my 45 collection, believe it or not. But I did get it. And eventually I, I owned all of the versions of the US 45s and that had been a goal. And um, back in 98 or 99, I sold 75% of my collection, but I kept the 45s because it had been such a challenge to get all of those. So when, when Tom came down to take a picture of that one for the book, uh, he said, would you be interested in selling that? And I said, well, I don't know, it's kind of, I kind of, I got the whole collection. I'd hate to break it up. And he said, well, I can make it worth your while. So he made me an offer that I couldn't refuse, but now I wish I had. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I, I knew for don't, sure. Don't forget the edition. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah. Don't forget the edition though. I said, and I'll give you 10% whenever I sell. That's right. That's right. Which, which I had forgotten, but he reminded me at the Atlanticus Expo recently. Uh, so Tom is a man of his word, believe me. Uh, so I let it go and then I broke up my collection of, of 45s and, uh, I guess we're going to talk about this, but I think there's only three known copies. Is that right, Tom? Have there been any others located? Well, there, there, there is a fourth one, uh, that I've been told, but it's broken and, uh, that's all I'm mm -hmm. going to say about it. And okay. uh, the, the gentleman that knows about it can say, but anyway, as far as whole ones, yeah, there's three. Okay, and <laughs> one just came up. Uh, we lost you for a second there, Tom. Uh, the, the most recent one, one just came oh, up. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The most recent one that came up. Uh, what? And Steve is on the line with us now. It looks like uh, he got it. So, what's the story, Steve? I, I was just sitting on eBay. Uh, somebody told me about it and. It was way up there in price, and I just sat there and said, you know what, I'm going to wait till about an hour before, and I put an extra 100 bucks in on the bid, knowing that somebody was going to outbid it. I mean, it sat there for, yeah, I mean, it was a good chunk of money at the time, and it still is, but then, like I said, I, I put my bid in and waited an hour, and nobody ever raised the bid, um, so I ended up with it. Do you I mean, have it? I, highest amount paid for uh I'd say right now it is until two years goes up and yeah. whatever happens there. But at the, at the time I held the distinction of having the most expensive LP from a kiss, a kiss LP and probably the most expensive seven inch too. So yeah, I'll throw that in there. Hold it up. If you got it, hold and it rare. <laughs> and rare. That's hey, you know, what's right really now. odd. All, all all not, three. I was looking for it earlier. And I couldn't find it. Yeah. Oh, glad you found it. I believe. I believe that. I believe that he has got an incredible collection. Unbelievable. Yeah. That Unbelievable. I, I mean that that is amazing, and that is kind of why I quit collecting singles, because I couldn't find it. I had, you know, yeah. I think it was nearly five hundred or just over five hundred singles, you know, from from all over the world, and 
once there's that gap, I, I don't know if anyone collects coins, but if you collect Morgan dollars, you're always going to have a gap for 1895 in that in that box. And it just drives me up the wall to have that gap, to know that that exists and yeah. to, you know, just not be able to get one without luck because I bid on that same auction, Steve. Um, you? And, you know, even though I don't collect anymore, I was just drawn to bidding on it because that was the unicorn yeah. from my life that I never <laughs> encountered. So... You know, okay. to this to this okay, day, yeah. I will go. I will bid on whenever I see it. If I ever see another one, I will bid on that. I will bid on the seven-inch UK flaming youth EP again because those are the two um, that I care the most about. Forget V1, V2 for Japanese singles. You know, the eight two three stock copy is. I mean, it's literally gold, and it's worth many, many times its uh, you know weight in gold. Ken, I mean, collector, you get you're getting to see two copies of, you know, the the two out of the three whole copies on one show in one night is absolutely amazing. It's amazing that they, you know, they're out there. Um, obviously, that well, we know three or four, right? A broken one. Uh, now, but, now, but, and that's where I can chime yeah. in about the stats because I, I don't like to wave pieces of paper on podcasts because that's really bad form. But this is a um, royalty statement for Kiss from August 1975 when they were auditing pre-sales because of all the stuff that was going on with the contract over Alive and whatnot. And it details that uh, there were 13,000 copies of the Rock and Roll Over single on which royalties were paid. And it then details that only 125 copies were royalty bearing for Let Me Go Rock and Roll. Now, does that mean just the uh, non-promo? Because the promos are written into the contract as something that they didn't have to pay royalties. Um, so there are probably more copies out there. That, that's, that's pretty clear that you wouldn't just have a single digit number of copies of a stock uh, 45. But Tom, you know, as as someone who's going to be listing this at an auction, how are you approaching that auction? Yeah. Reserve? Uh, I'm I'm sorry. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to start it at 99 cents. No reserve. I mean, why in the world? Why in the world would I put it higher than 99 cents? It's, it's going to do what it's going to do. And, uh, you know, if it's if it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't reach the level that Steve's did, it didn't reach it. You know, it just is what it is. I I, I think it's going to shatter that myself, but that's that's me speaking, so you can't really go by me. But I I know I know who's looking for this single. I I know what's going to happen. It's <laughs> this is it. This is the only chance. And. And, uh, and, you know, and let's, let's rank these. The you know, odd thing is all three copies have resided in the state of Kentucky at one time. Um, <laughs> That's interesting. But, so we've got, we've got Steve, if you don't mind me saying this, I mean, what condition is yours? What would you call your condition? My, mine's in fourth or third place. There's no question about that. It, the, the yeah. 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 There, it's very, it's very clear. It's, yeah. yeah. And still brought over $5,000. I mean, that's that's what we're talking about. And and so we're going from Steve that, you know, thank goodness the guy put it up on auction and it showed up. I bet it came out of a box of thousands. Mm -hmm. But uh, and then the, uh, the copy that uh, Francis O'Hara owned. Now, he's 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 since sold it. And I know where it resides. 
uh, it's got an autograph from Ace Fraley in a print on it. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of unfortunate because other than that, it was in really great shape. And, you know, normally that wouldn't be a big deal, but, you know, it's a mark on it. And yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, this this thing's dead mint. It's, I mean, it's dead mint. I'm I'm gonna I am gonna record it. I am gonna it record really it and make sure I've got a recording for people. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's dead mint. So, Steve, what what was the ending price on the auction that you won? Do you? It, yeah, it's uh right at fifty two fifty. Uh, fifty-one fifty would have been more appropriate ending. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it, it really is insanity, and and I mean, we are years on. So I think uh, w- before we uh, started the show, Tom, I uh, jokingly said to Ken, "Oh, he only needs to lift listed at ninety-nine cents," uh, and I think that's right. absolutely right because yeah. this is one that's going to get publicized all over the place as well, especially when it does end. So I I don't think be- there's any doubt that it's going to end up at well over that figure just because now everyone is far more informed yeah. um, you know i think you probably yeah, yeah i don't know if you got lucky because i was bidding on that and i was out at 2500 so um now wow. people have a lot more information available available to them they've yeah. seen over the last well we haven't we had a copy of best of uh, the kiss up for auction in the past year that's yeah. gone for sick money even in the last week one of the rarities and i think it's an overrated rarity of course the dynasty unairbrushed cover i think there's a lot more of those out there than currently justifies the price just like the alive to misprint yeah. but that went for seventeen hundred dollars so even in this market there's a lot of room for this to go for filthy amounts of money and uh, gary's going to be saying yeah i hope so i got my 10 percent coming man you know, right. <laughs> bit high, yeah, bit yeah, off yeah. So yeah there question, you go there you go question for tom have you uh done any research on the most valuable stock copy of of anything like would it be street fight no i haven't i haven't but I, I don't know but i think it's interesting you bring that up because uh if you look in the in the, the article I wrote about the Alive 2, I know it's in there. Mm-hmm. I said this that record would, would put Kiss up with with Beatles and, and everybody at, at, at the levels of the values. And we're here now. Mm-hmm. I mean, people can fight it all they want. And you hear people saying all the time, oh, it's too expensive. That's just too high. Man, an auction does not lie, you know? And, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think some of these Facebook vinyl groups can take some credit for, for that as well. I mean, there's been an incredible amount of information put out there and people are paying attention because these are, these are, uh, uh, what's the word? What's the word I'm looking for here? They're, they're, they're not perfect markets, which means that you can buy a KISS record for $5 and sell it for $1,700. Right. I'm looking at popsite.com. Looking at popsite.com, yeah. they got a, a 45 of Rolling Stone Street Fighting Man for $18,000. So push it up. Push it up. Yeah, I don't think it is. Is that the highest? Because is not the A&M Sex Pistols, uh, God Save the Queen. I don't think I it's going to go there. No, there's some 78s and, and some uh, LPs above that. 
Um, not their sex pestles. 14, okay, 18,749. So it's just two spots above it. Huh. That's that's a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> Buy a car, small car. Yeah, mine will probably sell for eighteen sixty-five, and there'll be the record. Yeah. You know. <laughs> now it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, you know, I personally, I think, I think, I don't think we're going to. Well, I don't know who, but I don't think we're going to find out who the who the winners are. I mean, yeah, I really don't. Uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's going to go that high, but you never can tell. Never can tell. I'll tell you what, I bet it packed it pretty good. <laughs> and oh, 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 free, free shipping anywhere in the world. Yeah. Going to pay for that insurance too, are you? I'll, I'll tell you something real quick. Mine, mine yeah, came, I'll probably get insurance on that. Mine, mine came packaged and uh, I asked the, the guy who sold it if he would double box it and do a little bit extra. And he said yes, he would for fifty cents for the box and a dollar for uh, and a dollar for really. Oh my god! Wow, I love that. That is beautiful. Now here's the insane thing to consider as a collector. I was obviously the owner of the Stanley the Parrot Acetate, and that sold for way, way less than. Hmm. what Steve paid for his single and what someone's going to pay for Tom's single. So, yeah. I mean, that, that just really is a matter, you know, un, which That's was true. totally unreleased at that point, um, you know, and definitely kind of a unique item, you know, even Seliman acetates, you know, have, have sold for far less than that. So, I mean, it really is one of these things that's built its own life along with, I mean, th there are some other singles out there, Tom, you know, the Australian, what is it? The uh, Strutter hundred thousand years. I'm still on the fence about whether that's legit or not. Yeah. Um, I, I'm very, I, mean, I, 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 I can't too. decide. I it's, it's a little bit too good to be true, but the numbers, again, it's not like a uh, rip it out, um, a single from England, which was bootlegged, you know, years ago, yeah. but we, we've reached the kind of the, the day and age. I, I mean, I, I know you've been very careful not to share good images of the label precisely because we don't want bootleggers to be able to do a repro of it. And they are really good. I mean, I've sat on images for years, um, you know, just like Flaming Youth as well could be another one that if so, a blue label suddenly popped up on eBay of Flaming yeah. Youth, yeah. people would be all over that like uh, flies to, you know what? So, how concerned are you about that at going to a bootlegger? Uh, well, they're going to pay handsomely for it. I mean, that's the one <laughs> thing, and I that they would. Uh, and bootleggers yeah, generally will pay. Um, yeah, but I mean, I, I mean, I can't control who gets it or what they do with it. I mean, as much as I'd like to, um, you know, like say, if somebody wanted to for that, I mean, it's not like you'd be able to let loose of one Eric, you know, if you, you can't, you know, if you counterfeited it, but, uh, but yeah, they could take some people if they did, you know, that's a chance everybody takes. That's one reason why nobody has, well, other than Gary has seen the, the trail off marks on that, on that hot hillside. Ain't the same. <laughs> that's the one thing that they can't, they can't match it to anything. There's nothing to match it to. So that would ultimately be what would get them. All right, yeah, so unless let, they let, bought let this, me ask you about that because obviously people can get a hold of the Filmworks repressing. 
Now, doesn't that come from the same platters? Mm -hmm. uh, if I remember mine, I've actually got a broken one of those sitting uh, around there. Um, mine, mine don't match. So mine don't match. Okay, I'm not going to give any details out of what's on the uh, on the you know the filmworks one because that's rare enough as it is. That's still a tough record to find for yeah. collections, but nowhere near. It sure is. Okay, so that that yeah, does, it doesn't, that, it doesn't match. Okay, uh, that's interesting for my own edification. Steve, I mean, what are you collecting these days? Now that you've got, you, you mentioned the expensive LP as well. What, what's the story on that? That was the the Japanese best of. You uh, got that as well? Yeah. Wow. I got oh, man, I was bidding on that, but then I decided, I saw the cassette. I'm like, does well, that really exist? That one, yeah, the cassette does exist, but that was yeah. not mine. The one, I didn't get the one that was on eBay. I got a different one. Um from a longtime collector, but I'm primarily collecting now. I'm trying to finish up my, my USA singles, obviously. Um, and then I've, I've gotten more back into to posters, um, mm. just the rare posters and not, not so much the, you know, everyday ones. Uh, so I've gone through, I've gotten some New Zealand ones, uh, uh, some of these ones that you're not going to see very often. And that's what I've been kind of focusing on lately. What are some of your gaps on the U.S. collection that you found particularly tough? And again, we've mentioned that all three of these copies have been in Kentucky. So I yeah. wonder if there was a Casablanca distribution plant down there that handled the order for the single, which is why they ended up regionally. Mm -hmm. Well, Tom's copy came. No, they all got shipped in. Yeah, yeah, they all yeah. got shipped in. Yeah. Yeah, mine came because I, I think Francis got his copy like a month after you got yours, Gary. I mean, they were there, quick, right? you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen right. it signed at Silver Pen, I think, right? For the one he had. Yeah. 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 I don't know if you'll remember this, Tom, but I I asked you to make an offer for that one uh, a long time ago when when you said he first got it. Yeah. Uh, trying to get that from him, yeah. he wouldn't. You said, hey, that's not enough. He's not going to even budge on that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. He ended up coming back years later, and uh, yeah, I, I actually brokered that deal. I, I don't think either one of them knew I was brokering it, but I was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's get people together and make sure you know nobody's giving crazy prices too low or any of that stuff. And so I think it worked out well for both of them. So let me get back to the question that I started to ask you, Steve. What are some of the gaps that you're still trying to fill on your single on your U.S. singles? The 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 majority of the gaps are uh, commons. I, I mean, I could probably go out and really push and get them. I'm trying to find them in the stores, mm -hmm. and then I'm also trying to collect all these variants. You know, when you've got Doctor Love, it's got 15 different variants and all that. I'm trying to get into that, and I've even went out and bought a set of calipers to try to measure on some things. Like oh, that. It's driving It's me a crazy legit thing, man. That's a legit oh, it, thing. It is. You got to measure those. Uh, we don't call them fonts. They're what type, you oh, know, yeah. there really is a big difference in the layouts. I remember the rock and roll yeah. all night single. I had like nine copies and I saw someone posting the other day. Yeah. Uh, here are pictures of 13. I'm like, <laughs> 
you bastard. <laughs> you know, uh, nine, nine copies. I mean, we're down to different time lengths. We're different fonts. One single word in a different place. And then you get into the the, the PRC pressings, the Casablanca pressings, and then you get into all the plants, which is why I, I wondered about the, the pressing plants, because in 1974, obviously, by the time Hotter Than Hell was being released, Neil Bogart had split from Warner and went back with independent distribution. And if I recall off the top of my head, he'd, I think, signed up with 26 distributors who all had regional um, arrangements. So whether they were being pressed, Tom, you, you kind of shook your head at that. What do you know on that side of things or what are your thoughts? Uh, well, I mean, I don't know that I necessarily got a deep thought on it. Um, you know, I asked Bill a coin, uh, like say when I got to do that interview with him, you know, because I talked to, to him about this single. Uh, uh, you know, he, he claimed that Bogart was so tied in with regional distributors that they didn't have an issue distributing it. So it's almost like, you know, it's almost like they, they, they put the single out as a promo just to kind of promote that just, just said to hell with the rest of it. Like it wasn't going to sell at all. I mean, which blows my mind. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they weren't a singles band at that point either. So there really wouldn't have been that much onus right. on getting it out there. I think the budget would have been better used on like Rolling Stone record world, you know, and ads, which they obviously fulfilled. Um, what do we know about the single? What I think yeah. it's Gary, what did you come up with in the fanzine on the focus on that single release date? I think has always been assumed to be January 75. Yeah, I don't recall. I don't have a, it's not noted in here when it was released, but it's got me wondering if maybe uh, rock and roll All night was released like pretty quickly after that. And that's maybe why it got ignored. Well, yeah, the, uh, what, what, even the matrix numbers on those were 823 and eight, what, 829 for the, the first, uh, version of rock and roll all night, the studio one. So very tight in terms of sequential sequentiality. Let's try and do that as a word. So maybe um, they pressed a bunch of them, but <laughs> sent a lot of them out and then rock and roll all night came out and they sent that out and they ended up with all these extra copies and they just tossed them. That would be a theory. Mm. Could have, yeah, yeah, yeah. When we go back and look at the history, of kids, them, right? Well, 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 they didn't melt them back down and repress them, did they? <laughs> I they guess you thrown them away. Uh, hopefully not. <laughs> Literally, they're probably sitting in a Kentucky landfill. Then, if three copies have come from <laughs> yeah, that neck yeah, of wood, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, Steve, yeah. have you uh, asked people to get a set of calipers and measure their copies of the Hotter Than Hell single to see if there's any variation in those? Um, <laughs> Center rings that would suggest printing in different locations. No. Has that sort of analysis ever been done? No. Not that you're going to get too nothing much deviation like off three copies. No, nothing like that. <laughs> I should take, I was going to take mine up to Tom when he was in Lexington and we were going to compare, but that we haven't run into that and we're going to apparently run out of time to do that nowadays, unless, unless somebody <laughs> in Kentucky that might be me is bidding on his to get a better copy. Uh, well, he, he, no. there is, it's an important part go. of coin collecting there is go. getting upgrades because sometimes you yeah. get space fillers. Yeah. And not I got that one I, from you. Not that I, I got, know anything about that. I got a chili alive from you, Julian, back at the 2018 or uh, expo down in Atlanta. 
That's right. We did a deal, didn't yeah. we? Yeah, we sure did. So Which is Tom, always what it's Tom, about. I was going to say, seriously, Tom, there is a, there is a pretty good chance that I may uh, may be involved in this auction a little more than normal. So we'll see. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll be back home before it's auction. Okay. You know, I'm not going to auction it till February 19th. Yeah, so that was going to be the question. When do you plan on auctioning this? You're going to do a 10-day auction. Have you signed up for your new eBay payments? Because they have changed everything. I just started. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Wow, I got to do all this. Yeah, now. and actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna something up. Yeah, I'm gonna throw something up just so it sells real quick, just to make sure all that works. Because yeah, I, yeah, that's mm -hmm. some crazy stuff they're doing. Uh, but yeah, it's a, uh, the auction is going to be February 19th. I don't know what time it's, it'll be February 19th and it'll be for 10 days. So, uh, everybody should have plenty of opportunity. Going to start at 99 cents, free shipping anywhere in the world. So it'll be real cheap when I send it to Steve on the other side of Kentucky. So I hope so. You know, you got me thinking I get a 10% discount if I win it. So I'm <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one way to look at it. Well, that's one way to look at it. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. We can do that. Same thing. Ken, you gonna bid? I might just bid to bid. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, 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 just be part of history. Just be right. part of this. So, yeah, I bid on that. You know. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I'll. I, I probably will. Actually, I'll bid, and but I, I know it's gonna go out of my, you know, probably range. That I'm willing to spend. It's out of my right. Well, I you know. I might as well it's give it a shot. Right. You never know. You never know. Yeah. You know, yeah. in the old days, you could uh, put a link to this podcast on the ad, but they won't let you do that anymore. Is that right? No. Yeah. That's all. I put it all over Facebook, though. Yeah, that's, what, that's, that's why it's more fun to get get together and just talk about it and uh, post the link everywhere. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the FAQ is going to know all about it. Um, it's going to be all over Facebook because it is one of those things. It's, it's, it's kind of a unless you get lucky. It's going to be one of those things that you really don't get to see very often. So, Tom, let's come back to you on and talk about the reasons why. Obviously, there the reason why you would let something so special go is also important as with some of the other things that you've been working on. Um, so I don't know if you want to just start off with uh, your, your, your new patents and where those come into play yeah. or, um, yeah. you, you know, everything that you have, you're working on. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually what is so just crazy ironic, I, 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 maybe you guys remembered, but, I retired from this stuff back in like May. Like I was not going to be doing any more kiss stuff because I had made my mind that uh, uh, I was going to liquidate. I'm six years old, man. Okay. And uh, so one of the main things that they don't explain to you about uh, uh, retirement planning is you need to make a shitload of money. Okay. <laughs> so I don't have that. So I've got to get a two stream coming in. So I decided I've got a fairly valuable collection and, uh, and, and I decided to liquidate it all. And I, I was planning to turn it into real estate so that, uh, you know, we could have some, some revenue coming in in retirement, but a kind of oddball thing happened and, and it, it all happened pretty much one afternoon. It's crazy. Uh, so I get a, I get a call, from, uh, my guy, personal music that I, I haven't talked to in about two or three years. And uh, frankly, I thought he might have retired. 
And, uh, but anyway, he got a hold of me because it was, uh, uh, and Steve knows all the details on this because I went to Steve on this. Uh, they were asking for a scan on a pretty rare 45 sleeve. And uh, so, uh, yeah, they didn't say what it's for. Uh, I got a weird feeling it's for something personal for somebody in somewhere. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, uh, I got that for them. And so when I, when I, when I, when, when I got, got ready to get off the phone, I said, Hey, you know, you remember about three years ago when you, you, you introduced me to the guy in the, uh, uh, in the finished goods department, that's what it was called then. And he goes, yeah, yeah. I said, man, he must've left or something. I said, I never heard back from him. You know, my guy was going to get me set up to do some records, you know, I mean, cause I would, I would send him out. Um, and for the, for people who don't know, I've been working with universal and kiss since 2012, 2011, um, started with the, uh, the Casablanca box set, the singles, and then, uh, the rebuild of the catalog. So, uh, you know, and that was a great thing. That was a great time. And I, and I, and I think one of the decisions I made by him, and it was an easy decision for me, uh, but I think it's why I'm getting this opportunity now. You know, uh, they asked me how much I wanted to work on the stuff. And I said, I didn't want anything. I said, uh, I'd like to get some of your garbage, you know, <laughs> some of your printer's proofs and stuff like that. And they said, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. And so I've got this massive collection of that. And, uh, you know, I had, I had a, uh, somebody that formerly held a similar kind of position to what I got there. Uh, and he just gave me all kinds of grief. You know, you need to be demanding this. You need to demand this. I said, I don't need to demand anything. I said, you know, if I don't do it, somebody else is going to do it for free. And that's just facts, people. That's just facts. So anyway, we just really enjoyed working together. And, uh, you know, uh, I, when we got finished at the end of the, um, of the LP projects, you know, I told him, I said, you know, I, I said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I, I really enjoyed doing this, you know, dealing and, you know, messing around with these records and, you know, we're doing this. I said, I, I need to try to carve me something out. And, and, uh, and so anyway, that's what he was trying to help me do. So anyway, he hooked me up immediately with the people and, uh, yeah, I, unless I screw this up, it's a pretty good setup. Uh, I will tell you what I can tell you about the, uh, the records that, that, so I, I initially asked for six. Okay. And I can tell you, I'll tell you one of them. It's, it was the first one that they killed, uh, because I did the first five and then I said, you know, screw it. I'm going to go for it. I asked for, for Frampton comes alive. <laughs> you know? I knew they were going to turn it down. I knew they were going to turn it down and they did because what I know about this process, what I've been able to feel out is this. So like, if I come up with this crazy box set that I want to do of something and I submit that, they're going to go, that looks great. Thank you. We're going to take that. Okay. And that's, I have to get through several layers like that. So what I got to do is go around the periphery. You know, what I'm, what I'm concentrating on are titles that they don't think are worth pressing. They don't want to, you know I'm saying? It's not worth their time. Uh, but it's well worth my time because, you know, I, I exist in a world that uh, just loves peripheral KISS stuff. So the more stuff related to KISS that I can do and that I can do well, the more shots I'm going to get at doing a bigger
title or something. So that's where I'm at on it. Uh, I have two releases that, that are, I'll probably be able to announce them in a few days, but I just can't right now because I need to get the final signatures from them. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys ever heard me tell the story about the Destroyer 45 box set. Y'all ever hear about that? So that was a thing. That was a thing. I got, I got the sleeves for them. It was four different ones. I don't remember what they were, but they were different than the ones that were in the box set. And this was going to be a little box with four, you know, kiss singles from destroyer that were going to have the appropriate covers. I think there was even, I think there was even both, both, uh, Detroit rock city and Beth. anyway, it's going to be pressed two days before they killed it and, and haven't seen it since that was supposed to be a record store day release back in before the box set came out, before the single box set came out. So you never know, you never know on something like that. So that's, I'm really excited about that. Um, you know, my goal is within, uh, you know, is to be doing a release a month uh, within about six months. You know, I've got to get things in the shoot first. And, uh, you know, it's, I'm not going to just be doing KISS related stuff. It's going to be a lot of others. I'm just about to pass out, man, because uh, this is going to have rockologist records on KISS related stuff. I mean, I'm just, you know, that I get more, more enjoyment out of seeing that stuff. It's like, how did that happen? You know? <laughs> anyway, so there's that. Um, oh, my God. That afternoon uh, or the next afternoon, I was sitting in a patent attorney's office. Um, you know, I had... Uh, I had been thinking this all happened right, right around uh, Thanksgiving and stuff. But, you know, for those that don't know, like I, say, I, I do actually, I, I, I mean, I've got a you know record distributorship and, uh, and I eat a bunch of damages, you know, a bunch tears me up. They're called seam splits. So that, that's, can, that's basically every record I receive in the post is called a seam split. That's That's exactly right. And, and what that's caused from, because, so the problem is an LP jacket has not changed in design since 1940. All right. But records don't go the way they used to. They used to go to a record store. And you know what? My boxes that I get from the pressing plant, man, I could sling them anywhere and ain't nothing going to happen to those records for the most part. But you put them in a mailer. And the problem is the mailman wants to throw at like a Frisbee. And that's exactly what's happening to every one of those that's got a seam split. If you notice, they're almost always on top, you know, but they just are where they are. So what's happening is they're slinging this thing like a Frisbee over into the cart and it stops. And the motion keeps going on the disc and depending on where it's faced, if it's, if that motion's headed to the top, it's coming out of there. Okay. So like, uh, this is, this is, uh, this is Leonard Skinner, you know, I mean, it's a brand new one, so it's not the collectible one, but still that's a $35 record. And now it's worth about 10, you know, I mean, I don't care what you say. That's damaged. That's, that's half the value of it or it's people, all the value people, when it's my people, customer. people want mint in packaging. They don't want damaged goods yes. when they're paying their hard earned money. Yeah. Yeah. So see this one. Now this is this is a real good example. So that's a bad cut there, man. Wow. Uh, that hurts. So that's this. And 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 so here 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 I'm gonna give you a good postal story too. So both of these records, 
this is a standard uh, hell i'm sorry i'm going backwards here that's a standard eric car orange vinyl and this is a deluxe drumstick edition both of these were in my mailbox on december 23rd uh they both got mailed january 3rd one went to germany one went to austria they both went all over the place there were stickers there and about two inches of dust on them you know because they pushed all the mail off to the side during the election anyway so the one without the split that's 25 dollar record this one with the split that's a 75 dollar record and tom paid that okay seam splits seam splits man five percent of what i ship out get seam splits five percent it's cost me a fortune man mm -hmm. you know how much that is in the record industry five percent of their shipments and let's just figure it at 90 percent because not everything goes through the mail you know i mean but people do you know you think that uh, that that like targets not shipping through the mail but i guarantee you half those records are going in the mail and out of the country so it's 20 million dollar a year is what that damage is hmm. i'm paying that you're paying that you know who's not paying that record company's not paying that but they don't need to they don't need to pay that but anyway so i came up with this wrap that basically i was sitting there and i kept i kept going i need to keep this thing i need to hold it in I need to hold it in and finally I came up with it and uh, it's a wrap that that will stretch a bit and then come back to form and basically it'll hold it in place so that there it, it stops that momentum not only stops it but the way it's designed it's a wrap so and so it, it circles around and so it not only stops it from moving it gives it gives the motion somewhere to go it dissipates through the wrap. so no more seam splits no more seam splits be able to buy the retail version i'm going to end up licensing is what i'm going to do it'll probably be through a, a big distributor i don't want to say names but you all know who provides you know record supplies and stuff um it'll come on a roll like a like a roll of duct tape and it'll have it'll be four feet for each for each time that you that you protect these and basically right now the 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 price point is going to be under a dollar record so uh, you know it's it is specifically designed and the process is designed for sealed records i mean because you know if you if it's not sealed pull it pull your record out you know it's not that big a deal but what it also works well for is to bind multiple records together you just be able to wrap it with this stuff it'll go on and off it won't damage it it'll keep everything from moving and that's kind of the deal um so i was pretty pleased when i came up with that and uh, uh like i say i'd already already applied for the patent and oh my god it's like a rock one night and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna share what it is but uh basically uh this thing the patent was changed so it also it's a tamper resistant seal can be and uh is uh, identifies counterfeits as they're sitting on the shelf and that's nice. I, I don't know what that's worth i don't know what that's worth but it's it's worth something all that's worth something to the industry and uh you know frankly 
I don't know. I, I'm, I'm thinking we may do a little bit more too, because uh, I, I can't get into what the business model is, but I'm going to tell you, somebody needs to go into Amazon and tell them they need to give up shipping records and need to have somebody do that for them. Those companies are horrible now. I saw a record today that was in an envelope. An envelope. I mean, how does Don't that happen? talk to me about Amazon shipping their bloody records. They will slap a label See? on a record and throw it in the bloody post. <laughs> bunch of tosses something came from england yeah from amazon uk and it was just a freaking mailing label on the record itself and it was all shit obviously so um while you were talking we had francis join us francis it is a pleasure to meet you and that is the third copy of the let me go rock and roll single uh showing up on you know, one show episode uh, on my, the way I'm looking right now, all three of those copies are Hello. on bottom row. So Steve, if you want to hold yours up in at the same time as Tom. Yeah. Might as well get them all on the screen at one time. Oh, so, hell, that's the wrong side, man. Sorry about that. <laughs> so now Tom, you know who bought mine, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Because I've I've kept I've never said who bought it because the person asked me to keep it quiet but uh, yeah. I want to say I sold mine was it about when was the last cruise you went on Tom uh, six okay so I sold it right before six now what you know I've I've given the other you know we're at the tail end of this show here uh, so I, I do want to get your backstory on your copy Francis how did you find out how did you find your copy were you aware of its rarity when you were finding it or obtaining it and then of course what led you to let it out of your hands man well uh, stupidity on the last question but uh, quite quite simply uh, this actually goes already back to meeting Gary. I mean, probably half my life ago. I'm 55, uh, so in the yeah. early 90s, uh, me and a buddy of mine went to see a, went to a Kiss convention in New York, New Jersey. Uh, so we drove up and, uh, you know, just ready to have a good time. It was when they when the conventions were really big, and uh, we were standing in line to get in. I mean, we just drove drove from Kentucky to New York. We were, you know, Kiss fans that you know didn't have a amount of money to spend on anything. Uh, but two, th two things came out of that day. There was a young man standing outside and they wouldn't, they wouldn't let him in the convention because he had a shoebox full of uh, Kiss 45s and uh, bubblegum cards, Kiss bubblegum cards. And they wouldn't let him in because he didn't have a table. He hadn't rented a table. And so I'm standing there and of course, you know, typical Kiss fan, I said, wait, hey, what's in your box? And he opened up his, his shoebox, and I immediately saw that this was probably 91, 92, 93. Tom may be able to help me on the time frame, uh, maybe Gary as well. But uh, I saw an Eric Carr uh, bubblegum card from the 1980 Australian set. And, and at that time in my life, I didn't have that set of cards. So I was like, oh, my God, he's got some of the Australian cards in this box. I didn't pay one lick of attention to those uh, 45s. And so he said, <laughs> uh, he said to me, I said, I'll buy it. You know, of course, you got a certain amount of cash. I mean, this was before cell phones and all this other crap. So you had a certain amount of cash in your pocket. And he said, 
I said, how much do you want for the box? He goes, man, I want $35. And I, go, <laughs> I said, uh, brother, I'll give you 30. And I swear to God, he goes, 34. And I said, <laughs> well, we're standing outside the convention. So I said, uh, 32. He goes, we got to go 33. And I said, you got a deal. You got a deal. So I, I reached in my pocket, gave the guy $33 in cash, took the box. It was a shoe box. It was literally a shoe box. And I took it back over to my car and the buddy who was with me was like, uh, dude, look what you got in there. And I said, man, I got some Eric Carr 1980 Australian cards, man. I said, man, that's worth 33 bucks by itself. And so we put it in the trunk of the car. Uh, now, the unique thing, if you don't mind me going a little bit farther, um, we go into the convention. Oh, and by the way, I asked the guy, I said, where'd you get the 45s from? Where'd you get the bubblegum cards from? And he said, my brother worked at a, a radio station in New York City. He said his older brother worked there and he had gotten all of it uh, from when he worked at the radio station. So, uh, of course, I know you all have done your research, but I was always told there was approximately, and I think I read this someplace and you all will correct me, uh, 135 or 125 copies possibly made. Um, but I've only seen that on one source and I'm not too sure if it's reliable. I just know I read that one time. Well, before I jump into the next part of the 45, I go and say, yeah, there it is. Thank you. So I, I went into the convention and I realized this was right after the Hot and Shade Tour. Mm -hmm. And there was a beat up old pinball machine at the convention. Now, if you went to those conventions back then, there was a ton of people at them. I mean, they were massive back then. And so I'm walking around. There's this beat up pinball machine. Of course, I'd always wanted to kiss pinball machine. And I'm looking at this pinball machine and they're wanting, I don't know what they wanted for it, but it was beat up. And there was this stringy haired, blonde haired guy walking around the pinball machine when I was with my buddy. And I'm looking at it going, man, I really want one, but this was not in good shape. And I don't think I want to pay for it. You know, so I'm doing that, you know, that, that, that hobnog around the, the pinball machine and the guy standing around me, I'm looking at him and I'm like, and I know this guy from someplace. And of course, you know, I'm in New York. I'm from Kentucky. So I'm like, have I met him at a, at a record show or, you know, I mean, I just couldn't place him. But, man, he looked cool, you know, and he's walking around behind us. And finally, we walked away from that old pinball machine. And he walks up and he goes, are you serious about buying a Kiss pinball machine? I said, yeah, I am. I said, you know, he said, well, I got one. He goes, it was either Hackensack or T-Neck, New Jersey, which is right at right down the street from where we were at. He said, I live, let's say he said he lived in Hackensack, maybe in T-neck, but he said, I live right down there. He goes, I got a pinball machine at my house. So I said, well, give me directions. Cause you, know, you had to write them down back in those days. And he gave me directions and me and my buddy, we were in a rental car. We're riding over this guy's house and I'm looking at my buddy and I'm like, man, I, I've seen that guy someplace. I'm just not too sure where we got to his house and there was three Fieros, you remember the old old cheap sports car, the Fiero? There was three of them in the driveway. Easy with now, I, I had two of those. Okay, so hey, listen, this is the 1990s. I thought it was the coolest thing I'd seen all day long. Yeah, you know? yeah. So he, we walk into his house, and his whole living room is just pinball machines. Adam's family, all these pinball machines, but every table and every pinball machine. And I know it's going to sound weird, but he had bowls of cereal eating were empty bowls of cereal and there was Captain Crunch boxes everywhere. And I was like, man, this is really odd. There was no furniture. It was just, it was just pinball machine. And he says, let's go downstairs. So we went to his kitchen, 
Captain Crunch boxes everywhere. I was like, man, dude, I mean, I love Captain Crunch, but my God. Downstairs into his basement and just, just recollecting, I walked downstairs in his basement and we're standing there and we're looking around and uh, he had an electronic drum set. And now think about it, early 90s, I'd never seen an electronic drum set. And I was amazed. I was like, oh, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And then we go into this little, what would be considered a bedroom, small bedroom, and he's got a Kiss pinball machine. He's got Hot in the Shade Tour Book with all their autographs. He's got Eric Carr drumsticks. He's got all this stuff. And I was like, dude, this is this is cool. I said, man, this is amazing. And his pinball machine was excellent, you know. And he goes, yeah. I said, how'd you get all this stuff? He goes, well, my band opened up for him. His name was Ted Polly. He was the lead singer of Danger Danger. And I was like, oh, that's where I remember you from. God, I thought it was a record show in Kentucky. You know, that tells you how dumb I am. And he needed to sell. I mean, at that time, if you look back at the history of Danger Danger, he had been he was out of the band. Uh, they were on their second or third album at the time, and he was no longer their lead singer. He needed money. And so I was like, dude, so we bought I bought his pinball machine. Now, this is the sad part. We put it in the backseat of a rental car and tore the it was a brand new rental car. We tore the seats up. We ripped that leather out because you can't. It was a red car. And I, and I, I failed to mention my girlfriend at the time. No, I'm not my girlfriend now, of course. Uh, she went with us and there was really no place for her to sit on the <laughs> way back. And so uh, being the typical male that uh, I shouldn't be, we sort of told her, you got to either lay up in the back window or. <laughs> You know, you just got to figure out where you need to go because me and my buddy were in the front seat and we were excited because, you know, we had the pinball machine. But so anyway, so I got and, and all in one day, I got both those items. Fast forward. Uh, I think Tom came to my house and Tom, you, like I say, it's been so long, but Tom came to my house uh, at some point after that. But what was unique, I came home and I'm looking through the 45s and somehow or another I met Gary Kahn through phone calls or something. And he had his fanzine, which was awesome. And he was, and I, and Gary, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was maybe Joe Marshall, but there was somebody else that at the time was collecting all the US 45s. You were doing it and somebody else, and you, you were basically the leading expert yeah. on all the different ones. And I had typed up all the ones I had in the box. And it was literally 80% of the U.S. 45s, including the Let Me Go Rock and Roll, Hotter Than Hell, uh, Blue Label. So it's going to sound weird. My first start of collecting the U.S. 45s, I already had the hardest one to get. Yeah. And so, and Gary sort of educated me on, dude, yeah. you got that one? I was like, yeah, it's, it's in the box. And I had no idea what it was worth at that point. And then now the one thing I will tell you, it did have Ace Frehley's signature already on it. Uh, and uh, the, I asked the young man uh, uh, because it was the second 45 in the box. I didn't know it was rare. Uh, he just said it's got Ace Frehley's autograph on it. I, I did, and I said, where did where'd that happen? He goes, my brother must have got that uh, at the radio station, but he didn't confirm it. He just said that. But all that said, I had that 45, and at some point, Tom and I both lived forever in Lexington together. I just moved to northern Kentucky a few years ago, and Tom came by my house. Man, I'm a, this is half my life ago. And came over and looked at some of my kiss stuff, and and we just had we were having a kiss day there, and, and he was one that sort of told me I guess it was the Holy Grail forty five, and then Gary had always sort of told me that too, but I had it honestly sitting in in a box 
for all those years. And then one day, another gentleman contacted me, and Tom Shannon knows that. I think Tom was the one that contacted him and told him I had one. And uh, the guy called me and said, are you willing to sell it? And I've been asked so many times, and I finally just said yes. I said, I'll sell it. And he uh, bought it from me. He has it now. Uh, uh, he was very happy with the deal. Um, now, here's the stupid part because everybody wants to know what you what you sold it for. So who's the guy that got the one for 5000 Who is that? Which one of you is that one? Is that Steve? That's Steve. Yeah. All right, Steve. Steve, um, <laughs> I told Steve, my ra raise your hand and just remind everyone I've got the $5,000 kiss single. <laughs> well, I sold mine uh, for 2500 Oh, my God. And uh, I'll be honest with you guys. I mean – uh, like, like, I mean, I, do I wish I still had it? And I could sell it. I'm like every other guy, you know. I mean, but I'd also still like to have my high school girlfriend again. She was built really well. Uh, she's not now. She's not now. Okay, let me rephrase that. Every time I see her, I'm like as old as I am. I am. I don't look that bad. But, uh, but nonetheless, I mean, you know, <laughs> God bless her. I mean, she got four kids, and I was like, my God. Remember when you were good looking? You remember that? I mean, God. I mean, it's a poor thing. Poor thing. I mean, but anyway. You know, uh, but that said, I mean, uh, I've still got the pinball. I got two pinball machines, and they're downstairs. And uh, you know, I'm I'm sort of like a lot of people. I'm thinking about selling a lot of my stuff right now. But uh, no, the, the 45 stayed with me all those years. Uh, I, 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 the gentleman that bought it seemed happy. And you know, do I wish I would have gotten ten thousand for it now? Yeah, Steve, thanks a lot. You 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 bought one for five thousand. <laughs> Tells me I could have sold mine for ten because mine was in a heck of a lot better shape than yours, and so uh, well, apart from the writing on label, yeah. But the H Frilly autograph, the yeah, rest, yeah, 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 yeah. And I've got pictures of it if y'all wanted. I took pictures for us, but the forty-five was meant other than the autograph. I will say mm -hmm. that. Oh um, yeah, 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 but, yeah, yeah. And in Tom's, of yeah. course, I may be wrong. I don't want to overstep because I don't know what y'all talked about, but I'm pretty sure Tom, you bought yours from Gary, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And yeah. so here's the thing. I know Steve got his off of eBay and I know y'all have already had your podcast, but Steve, the buyer that who, who sold it to you, do you know? Uh, it was a uh, Carolina soul is the, so like where'd they find it? He's apparently a big distributor. So he just found it in a box or something. Exactly. Where'd he find it? I, I don't know. I never, spoke to him I, I them earlier he charged package it but now he's just a big time distributor i see on there all the time so here's the real question and i've never asked and, and of course i've known gary and tom for 30 years but i don't talk to him that often but gary where did you find yours that you sold to tom uh i told tom when he asked me about it I, I think I got it out of the back of Goldmine magazine, just from a, a guy that was selling records. It wasn't a yeah. Kiss guy. Yeah, a lot of stuff out of Goldmine. I sold a bunch of stuff out of Goldmine for years. Yeah. But I will say this: uh, like all of us, I looked everywhere for for another copy. Even when I had my copy, I looked everywhere. So I I really don't believe and everybody's got their opinions. I don't believe there's 135 copies. I just don't. And if there was, and they went to record stores in the New Jersey, New York area and distributed wherever Bill of Coins sent them, they've been destroyed or thrown away. I just can't imagine anybody even knows that at a record at a record station, a radio station, I don't think they, they kept them. So, yeah. 
No, and, and that adds some very interesting seasoning to the story overall, because if that copy came from the radio station, well, what's a promo doing getting to a radio, uh, a non-promo doing getting to a radio station? And I, I think if there were more than that, there would have been more copies out there, especially in the Internet age, because it's not like anyone's discovering today off this podcast how rare this single is. We've known for years how rare it is. Documentation like this, you know, one royalty statement, which is the only bit of paperwork I've ever seen relating to it, which doesn't mean there isn't others because most of the all coin and uh, Casablanca paperwork is out there in various hands. Um, so th that that's nothing special, that piece of paper I waved around. That is just simply the only thing I've ever seen with a, a number attached to it. Um, take it for what you will. It may just have been, you know, come on, it was during a lawsuit when KISS was going to try and get out of their Casablanca contract. So if Casablanca provided their auditors with a, oh yeah, 125 copies of that. Oh yeah, that sounds good. It's out, not just the, you know, the promos that are accounted for out of the contract that we don't have to pay any royalty bearing revenues for. Fine, whatever. But we would, I think we would most certainly know of more copies if it was more common than it seems because you, you can barely go a week without someone finding a copy of the Alive 2 misprint, as I alluded to earlier. I mean, one of my friends just found one in Boston you know, or near Boston this weekend. You know, um, the misprint or the unairbrushed copy of Dynasty shows up with regular, um, you, you know, frequency. The best of so of uh, best of um, kiss, pardon me, does show up. Not very often, but it does show up and it is sold back channels mm -hmm. for large amounts of money more frequently than is advertised just because it's one of those things. Same with Burns. Um, so I, I think Francis makes a very valid point that 125 is just a flippant number for which there is documentation attached to it rather than a reflection on reality. D to be totally fair. So, I mean, when Steve buys a copy for 5200 on eBay, that's a steal as Tom, I think, is going to prove. And Tom, you like proving facts and figures. I, I'm, I'm really thrilled to, to see where this one goes. Are we going to hit five yeah. figures on that? Are we not going to hit five figures? Was 5,200 just simply the, um, the ceiling for that single? It, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't think it is, but, uh, you know, I, I don't live in reality. Um, you know, I'm a KISS fan. So we're, you're yeah. you're gonna find out. Are, you are not putting a reserve on it, correct? You know we're, we're, we need no, to wrap no, this, uh, this up. So you are not gonna put a, a a reserve on it. You're gonna let it go where no. it be, and uh, we're we're all gonna promote the living hell out of it and have a daily holy shit is up to. Well, Tom, if it's any consolation, I'll give you five grand tonight. That tells you how, how much I think it, right, that's a low ball yeah. figure. So. Five grand. Uh, yeah, I offer me five, five earlier. Five dollars. Yeah, five, five grand would be a flipper's dream on that. Yeah. To be yeah. perfectly blunt, I mean, we're, yeah. we're you know, yeah, Tom was talking so. about real estate earlier. Well, yeah, we're we're into real estate here. F flipping is a dream for this single because if you find a copy at twenty five hundred, you you buy it because you know you're going to turn that yeah. investment around quickly. If you find a copy for 3000 you know you're going to be able to turn it around. Just don't buy the broken copy. Yeah. <laughs> now, I've heard Gene has a broken copy, but I guess you already talked about that, right? We, we have mentioned the fourth copy, which is broken, um, though, though who knows? I mean, who out there? This is going to be a question for the audience. 
have you ever seen a copy? And it 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 is very clear to tell the difference between the promo and the non-promo. You simply are not going to have hotter than hell on the B-side. I guess in theory, because of the vagrancies of pressing and the manufacturing process, you could theoretically have a promo with the wrong label on the flip, but I, I don't think that's really gonna be very strong likelihood. Um, so anyone out there ever seen one? Have you seen these copies that these cats have been talking about? Because this has really been an exciting episode to dig into one of the biggest rarities in Kiss Land. I can't think of anything rarer. Tom, but I, I'm going to let Tom have the Tom. You have the final words and lead us out of this episode, just with a, a quick recap of when you're going to list this, where, and uh, just give us a nice summary at the end. All right. Well, I'm gonna gonna post it on eBay February 19th. Not sure what time of the day, but it'll be on there. Uh, it'll be a 10 day auction, 99 cents to start, no reserve, and best of luck to everybody and. Uh, Hopefully we'll be back. Julian, hope we'll be back soon and, and uh, make some announcement on some of these records. So other than that, I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. Uh, thank you, Gary. And and again, thank you for the fanzines throughout the 1990s. Steve, thank you very much yeah. for buying my copy of Chilean Alive. And, uh, you know, thank you for uh, <laughs> making sure that you set a very nice ceiling for someone to try and reach on the let me go rock and roll single francis thanks for for joining glad to get thank your you. story on the single as well because we've got all the known history of that one single represented on this one show which is really cool as a collector and it's been nice just to listen into tom we will be back to talk to you in the future once you've got everything signed and okay. sealed um to talk about those releases um but that's it. So for now, from Steve, Francis, Tom, Gary, Ken, and myself, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time on the Kiss FAQ podcast. Thank you for spending time listening to the Kiss FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the Kiss FAQ message board and discuss the topic we broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.